Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore, and today is uh, the fifth episode of Draft Debaters. This marks roughly the halfway point of the series, so a huge thank you to everyone who's been following and tuning in so far. If this is your first Draft Debaters episode, I'm joined by two scouts each episode where uh, I pick apart their list to find the most disagreed prospects, and uh, that's who we'll talk about. And so for today's guest, I'm really excited to be joined by these two guys, so uh, let's introduce them. So... On my virtual left, you can find his work on EP Rinkside. He's sipping the tea. Welcome to the show, J.D. Burke. How's it going? I gotta say, I'm really happy that you went to your left, because I think that I have a certain <laughs> brand, a certain image to uphold, and really, you're doing a good job of making sure that that's the case going into this, right? So, uh, happy to be joining the program again, uh, happy to be talking about some of these prospects, and uh, looking forward to to butting heads with Scott, as it were, uh, technically a coworker, even as I'm still doing freelance work in theory at the Athletics. So should be totally. a good time. Totally. Well, we've got to st- stick to the brand. So I'm glad you could join us today. But uh, you've got some stiff competition in Scott Wheeler as on my virtual right. He writes for the Athletic and he's a fellow stand of Vitaly Abramov. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Scott Wheeler. Scott, how's it going? It's it's going. I mean, these days it's it's more of the same for me. It seems every day um, in this sort of hockey cliche world, I'm I'm taking it day by day here. So awesome. Well, I'm happy to have you guys both join today. And uh, for listeners from last year's draft debaters series, it uh, this actually may sound a bit familiar as this is our first ever rematch. Uh, last year, you guys debated some players such as Cam York and Victor Soderstrom, uh, but we've got a new set of 2020 prospects to discuss today. Um, just a bit about the format. I'll read out your guys' rankings of each prospect. Uh, JD, your rankings are from your team at uh, EP Rinkside. And for Scott, you've graciously given us a bit of a teaser for your upcoming rankings at The Athletics. So uh, you'll each have a chance to talk about each player, uh, plus a chance to rebut afterwards. Uh, so I'm excited for round two of JD versus Scott. So let's just get into the first prospect. Um, so the first player I want to talk about today is Connor Zari. Uh, he's a centerman for the WHL playing for the Kamloops Blazers, uh, who's currently expected to be uh, picked in about the mid-first round, uh, most likely inside the top 20. So, Scott, you have him pretty high up at 13th, whereas JD, you have him outside the top 20 at 24th. So, uh, starting with Scott, uh, what do you like most about Zari's game? Oh, um, there's a lot. I think the big thing with me and, and with Zari over the last couple of years in particular has just been his willingness to play on the inside of the ice. That's where the game is trending. And he's one of those players who just he, the middle lane drive is his bread and butter. He wants to get to the net. He wants to drive play through the center of the ice in the neutral zone. Um, so that's always been kind of my big thing with him. I, I, I would also argue that some of the the sort of traditional knocks on him that he's so-called not a great skater. Um, I just don't, I don't see it. I've never seen it when I've seen him play live. I've never seen it when I've seen him on tape. Uh, I think this year in particular, his skating came a long way. He can definitely push tempo at as sort of a very high level in the WHL. And I think he'll be able to push tempo at an adequate level in the NHL. Um, and I just love his stick to itiveness He's always on the puck. Mm-hmm. He's always sort of wanting to make plays. He's never settling. He doesn't settle often, at least, for that sort of, sort of simple, um, casual sort of read and react available play, um, which isn't to say that he tries to overcomplicate things because I don't think that's a huge part of his game either, but he definitely just plays the game in that sort of modern net driven um, interior lane style. And I think he has enough skill to execute when he does run into trouble. So um, if, if he's in traffic in the offensive zone or if he's under pressure against a bigger defender, he does a, a, a good job navigating against that pressure and still making plays. So I'm just a big fan. I, I, I don't think he's going to be a true sort of star level player player at the NHL level, but I see a kid who, who has a real chance to be a sort of impact second line forward and who can do it in a lot of different ways and, and offers you some nice qualities when he doesn't have the puck as well. So there's really just not a lot in his game that I don't like. And, and as a result, he ended up trending sort of higher on my board this year. Totally. And, and over to JD, was, is, there any re- is there any reason why you're less high on Zari? Well, I, I think that I'm perhaps a little bit less enthusiastic about his ability as a skater and particularly how that translates to his uh, his his ability to generate value through the neutral zone as a transition piece. We've got some real questions about that. 
Uh, furthermore, I mean, I, I think that we've decided at Elite Prospects that we view Connor Zary as a winger at the NHL level, not a center. Mm-hmm. And another thing to keep in mind as well, if that doesn't bring down his value enough, is he's a good shooter of the puck, but he's not a particularly adept uh, distributor. He can't really find teammates through levels at a high level. Uh, he can't really uh, consistently create through the Royal Road part of the ice if he's not in there himself personally. You know, I, I like his shooting. Uh, I, I like his overall offensive instincts, but I think there are some holes in his game. And particularly when you consider his relatively advanced age, uh, the environment in which he played. I mean, it's it's a pretty uh, generous situation, right, as far as environments go. And it's hard for me to uh, let's where I look for it's, it's hard for me to countenance his production questions about his ability to skate at a high-end NHL level and the fact that we don't project him as a center with a ranking that high that's that's where we're coming from primarily that said we do like his defensive game I think he provides some real value there uh, we actually like him a bit more on the power play as well some real value there I'm just going through some of our notes here. But uh, some of those shortcomings, when you get that high up the draft board, they become especially, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they matter just that much more, right? And so you really start to nitpick at that point in the draft. And for us, those were issues that uh, prevented us from rating in, uh, Connor's area any higher. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch his uh, the way he progressed this season. I mean, uh, he started off the season very hot. And I mean, he's kind of the opposite to Seth Jarvis, his WHL counterpart in the draft this year. He started off pretty hot and even led the WHL in scoring at one point. But then he had a bit of a cooler second half. So uh, just over to Scott, um, do you feel there's any reason contributing to that maybe? Or is that any reason to be skeptical of Zari having the cooler second half? Or is it just a matter of maybe the luck kind of ran out a bit? Yeah, I think he just ran particularly hot at the beginning of the year. I wouldn't read too much into it over the course of the sample size that we have, not only this season, but last season. It's a pretty impressive package, all told. Um in terms of a so-called rebuttal, uh, the, the old, I, I would, uh, it's tough. I, I would say that his age is definitely um, something that that has to be considered as, as maybe not a negative, but just the context for mm-hmm. some of the numbers that he was able to put up, especially last year when he, he played at basically a point per game in his draft minus two. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I can hear that, uh, and it's something that I've thought about a lot this year. He's definitely one of the older players in the draft, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it comes down to the skating for me. I, I really don't think it's an issue. Um, there's not a lot of drag in his stride on his push-offs. Uh, he certainly can accelerate through his crossovers. Um, so I just, I just don't see that as being a, a major sort of sticking point for me. And I think the rest of his offensive tools coupled with a pretty reliable defensive game, it's, it's a, it's a pretty nice package. And, um, I, I would be curious to know why you, you guys don't project him as a center. I, I don't really see, uh, certainly if, if you think his skating is a problem, maybe, but, um, Again, I just don't think that's a problem. So I, I do think he's he's got a real good chance of sticking at center. We think that the skating is the big issue there for us, primarily. Another one is just the ability to find teammates through levels. And uh, if he's somebody who needs to be the man pulling the trigger on the puck uh, as he rises up the ranks, it's a lot easier to do that as a winger, particularly if you have those shortcomings as a skater. Um, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not saying that what we're – offering as a analysis of his skating stride is necessarily the gospel or vice versa right i, I mean mm. people can reasonably land on different opinions but we see his skating and his inability to distribute through traffic and create through his line mates consistently as a as a bit of an issue for somebody who projects as uh, an offensive piece at the nhl level do you find there's anything any particular part about the skating that maybe has you a bit more concerned uh, you know what, for me, it's it's just basically a bit of a wide stride recovery, uh, you know, which doesn't allow him to generate as much acceleration through his push. Um, you know, little things like that that kind of add up, frankly, and, and you know, the placement of his foot uh, doesn't get ample ankle flexion, we feel. Uh, just it's also inconsistent too. I mean, that's another thing that I would point out is that one thing that is pretty consistent through our reports, and you'll see this through our draft guide, is 
you know, you'll look at Zary one shift and his skating technique will, will seem fine. And then the next will look completely awful. And I mean, generally what that translates to is a player who has conditioning issues more than he does skating, but it's hard to, to make hard to make that determination, not having the access to information and testing that the NHL does. So uh, having to guess is, is never really an enviable position, right? So you have to go with what you can see. And for us, inconsistent skating mechanics uh, are definitely a part of the evaluation yeah interesting and i guess this is kind of in the spirit of draft debaters to show that um two scouts can definitely have very different viewings of a prospect when it comes to things like skating or other aspects of his game so definitely makes sorry a bit of an intriguing prospect in that sense but i want to move on to uh the second prospect of discussion today uh, who in terms of your ranking is actually the most disagreed player that we'll be discussing in this episode and that is brendan brisson so uh, like Zari, he's also a centerman. He spent the past season playing for the UH- USHL Chicago Steel, and he's committed to playing for the University of Michigan next season uh, alongside guys like Cam York, who we discussed last year, as well as a uh, fellow draft eligible uh, for Thomas Bordolo. Uh, he's been a bit of a difficult player to peg in terms of rankings this year, uh, with the potential to go anywhere from about the back half of the first round, even the third round, some people have him ranked. So, JD, uh, you and Elite Prospects actually have him ranked the highest I've seen all season, all the way up at 16th. Uh, where Scott, you have him in the second round at 40th. So, uh, JD, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, why should a team take an early chance on Brisson? I think he has number one center upside, pretty simply. And I think that he has some of the tools that are a little bit... Uh, I mean, there's no way to, to say this without being a little bit navel-gazy, but I think he's got subtle skills, uh, the sort of abilities that one would pick up with the ample resources allotted to him by his father, Pat Brisson, the player agent. I mean, this is somebody who's been training and playing with the likes of Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby, you name it. And you can really see it in his game. I mean, his ability to receive difficult, hard passes in space and manipulate the angle on his receipt to play the puck into space that a defenseman can't reach or is at a disadvantageous uh, position to retrieve. I mean, just he adds so much value in every corner of the ice. And there are some really elite tools there as well that are are less subtle. I mean, I think his offensive instincts are through the roof, like his ability to problem solve when there's a first, second, third, sometimes even a fourth variable uh, trying to get between him and the goal is at a level that I just haven't seen from many other players in this class, short of perhaps somebody like an Alexi Lafreniere. And then you look at his value on the power play. I mean, somebody who keeps his feet moving, somebody who... Again, this kind of falls into that subtle skill category. He can receive passes and take one-time shots that other players just could barely handle, period, and generate so much power through those shots. And another thing for me with Brisson is just he got better every single time I watched him this year. I mean, I, I was there at the USHL Fall Classic in Pittsburgh, and I was actually not all that impressed. In fact, I was kind of iffy on him at the time, and then, you know, fast forward to my next live viewings in Dawson Creek at the World Junior A Challenge and uh, just a completely different player. His two-way game got better over the course of the season. His skating got better over the course of the season. You combine that with an elite brain and elite uh, subtle skills that add value at every corner of the ice. I think that he has the potential, particularly going to a great developmental environment like Michigan, to really surprise some people and develop into a number one center. Obviously, uh, it's the NHL draft, right? The odds are never in your favor. The people who are best in the industry bet 300. So uh, it's it's not like I can say for certain he's going to be a number one center, but I look at the players who I would place bets on reasonably to reach that height. And I think that Brendan Brisson is really high up the list because of these reasons. And I know that the the rebuttal from a lot of people is, well, he played on a team that generated 60 more goals than any other in the USHL, right? So he was in a pretty fortuitous uh, scenario and environment, right? And I, I don't disagree with that, but I think it goes both ways. I think you also reach a point where there are diminishing returns. The rule of diminishing returns rather begins to take hold. And it's like, well, at a certain point when you're beating these teams six to two by the end of the second period, I mean, everybody shuts down shop, right? So, I mean, there's a, there's a few different ways that one can look at his production and, and try to contextualize that based on his environment. Certainly it helped, but I don't think that's the key reason that he was able to produce that much. And in fact, I think that he was 
quite clearly the person driving value on his line whenever he was on the ice. So uh, I've got a lot of time for his game. And honestly, like I could even move him higher up my board if, if so compelled. Interesting. And to Scott, is there any difference in your perception of Brisson? Um, not a lot. I mean, he's a, he's a darn good player. I, I don't want it, that to get mixed up here. Um, certainly uh, his, his team, I, I would argue that his team helped him, but again, he was, I, I don't disagree that he was the best player on arguably the best team in the history of the USHL. Like he was mm-hmm. that good on a team that was that good. Um, so, so I don't have a lot of quibbles in terms of his context and his line mates and playing with Farrell and all those other guys. And, uh, he, he was a driver. There's no question. Um, my concern, if anything would be a, I, I definitely don't see sort of one C upside in him. Um, I think he has a chance to be a really good sort of contributing middle six forward who can help out on the power play and potentially even drive one of those kinds of lines. Um, but I, I just didn't see over the course of the year, certainly he had an excellent second half. Um, and there's a consistency to his game, both without, with and without the puck that I, that I really, really admire. Um, but I just didn't see enough consistent sort of flares of that high, high end skill, the kind that can crack open a shift. Um, he, he can make plays through traffic and he definitely problem solves. Well, JD touched on that and there, there's no question he does. Um, but I, I just wonder once the game gets bigger and stronger, whether he's going to be able to sort of break down defenders one-on-one and whether he's going to be able to break down set plays as effectively as he did this year with all the talent that was around him. And ultimately that just resulted in, a, I think, a little bit more of a cautious uh, perspective on his game. I also wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have an immediate impact in college. He's going into an excellent, excellent freshman and sophomore class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that will, that will be a big boost for him because they're going to, to run with their youth there. And uh, he's also being joined by a couple of high-end teammates for next year's draft. So uh, there's going to be a lot going in his favor again next year, and, and that will certainly help him. But um, I think he might be a little bit of a slower burn. I think it just as, as he plays to that kind of pace and as he gets stronger, it's probably going to take him, at least in my opinion, two or three years before we really see the best of him at the college level. And that's fine. Some kids, if that's the case, that's that's a fine outcome if he spends two, three, even four years there. Um, but it, it's certainly, I think, going to be a little bit of a slower burn. I don't think you're going to see this sort of immediate dominant impact that he obviously had at the USHL level right away. And that ultimately I think is indicative of a couple of things. The the big one is that I just don't see skills of shooting and in tight control core control and the sort of dynamic traits that you'd hope for out of a player who uh, sort of goes in the upper half of the first round. Oh, just back over to JD. Do you find that, uh, do you tend to agree that maybe it would take a couple years for Brisson to reach his full potential? I mean, he, he is definitely one of the... He, he's not exactly an entirely short player, but he is 5'11", still has a bit of his frame to fill out. But do you feel that it would take maybe a few more years for Brisson to make an NHL impact? Or do you think that uh, he could maybe... Uh, or do you feel that he could make more of an immediate impact? I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on opportunity. And, and certainly mm-hmm. that's going to be very hard to come by in, in Michigan next year. I mean, mm-hmm. Ken Johnson's going there. Thomas Bortolo's going there. And, yeah, uh, you know, these are just some of the, the high-end recruits that they're bringing into a system that already has the likes of John Beecher down the middle, right? So uh, it's it's going to be hard to come by for sure. And I think that's going to be the big issue there. But I, I think... I mean, look, if you're an NCAA coach, you know, and, and you're staring down Brendan Brisson's one-timer and saying that's not good enough for my first unit power play, uh, I think you're in the wrong line of work, right? So I think he's going to get his shots. I think he's going to get his opportunities. And I think that when he does, he's going to make good on them. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see whether they come as readily at five-on-five five as I perhaps think that they should, but I know that at the very least, he's going to get his shot on the power play. And honestly, like watch out big 10 goalies. Cause I mean, that one timer is it's, it's absurd. It might be the best in this class. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, you kind of talked earlier about, about his um, trajectory and how he definitely improved as the season went on. And uh, for Scott, do you find that uh, you saw the kind of the same in Brisson or do you feel that uh, maybe there's still more room to grow as, uh, as he's going on into Michigan next year? 
I mean, there's definitely more room to grow for all of these kids, and and he's definitely one of them. Um, it, it, I would probably argue, frankly, that because he's, we, we've only really seen the best of him in the last half, maybe the last two thirds of this season, that maybe there is more room for him to grow. When I, uh, we we often talk about age in terms of projecting some of those things forward, but when I look at a kid like Brisson, who's been a, a little bit more of a late bloomer relative to maybe the 50 kids that you would consider for the first round in this draft class. Um, he, he's no different than a player like Jack Quinn for me, who is one of the older kids in the class, but mm-hmm. almost feels like he's trending in the other direction. It almost feels like he's young just because he hasn't been on the radar and he's just sort of figuring everything out and he's just coming into his own. And Brisson felt a little bit the same way this year. He was good early in the season. I mean, certainly he was an impact player right from the get-go, but he definitely found a, a, a sort of new gear in that second half. Um as did that team, frankly. I mean, they yeah. they went into the break on one of the longest winning streaks in the history of the league. So um, they all kind of really began to click in the in the second half. But um, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure whether uh, th- that's something that I put too much stock into. But it's certainly something that you have to think about in terms of maybe we're just seeing the beginning of of how good he could be, just because it, it took him a little bit longer to put it all together. Totally. So we've talked about two centermen, so I feel like it's time we look at one of the draft's most notable defensemen. And uh, I think we'll move on to Emil Andre as our third prospect. Uh, so Sweden just keeps to, yeah, it, it just seems like Sweden keeps producing some strong crops of defensemen every draft. And this year is no exception, with uh, Emil Andre debatably being the biggest name of the group, along with guys like uh, Held Granz, Anton Johansson. Um, but Andre, he shoots left, he plays for HV71 in the Super Elite League. Um, and in terms of just his expected range, I currently have him marked between 20th and 35th. So uh, both of your guys' rankings just fall inside that range. As Scott, you have him at 21st, while JD, you have him at 31st. So uh, over to Scott first. Um, you had Andre in your top 15 uh, with your midseason rankings. So I'm wondering, um, what's made you a fan of Andre all season? Oh, man. He's one of those kids that just checks. I mean, short of being short, he checks every single box that I look for in a defender. He has pretty well all of the qualities I look for. He's calm under pressure. He can lead a Russian transition. He has the sort of puck handling and east-west four-way mobility to run a power play. There's just, there's not a ton that I, that I don't really like about his game, quite frankly. He's physical and strong, really, really, really strong for a kid his size on the puck. He's calculated. He sort of takes risks when he has to, but not when he uh, doesn't sort of force them, if you will. Um, there's just, again, there's there's nothing in his game that I see as being a major problem. You'd like him to be taller, absolutely. You'd like him to have more length. It's definitely, length definitely matters still, um, particularly more with defensemen than it does with forwards. So uh, it's tough for players his size to, to reach their full potential and to sort of capitalize on the skill that they often have. Um, there still aren't very many five foot nine, five foot ten defenders in the NHL, even as the game trends smaller. All of those things definitely mm-hmm. need to be considered, and that comes with some risk in taking a player like Andre. But in terms of the way he actually plays the game and the way he operates on the ice and the way he defends for his size, um, I don't know. He, he's for me, he was one of the best defenders in one of the top junior leagues in the world. Um, I think he's going to play really well right out of the gate in the SHL next season. Um, I, I'm just a huge fan. There, the I think we can often mistake height for for some of the sort of defensive inefficiencies that we expect to come from it. But there are certain players that just learn to navigate that. And certainly, when you're uh, as strong as you are for a kid at his height, that helps to mitigate against some of the problems that come with just having a shorter stick and having a shorter stride and, um, and not being able to push people around in the corners like you might hope. Uh, but I love the way he, he plays. I love how calculated he is. He's extremely efficient. Um, and, and I think he has a chance to run a power play, which kind of puts him over the edge versus some of the five or six other defensemen, not all of them, but certainly a couple of the five or six other defensemen that I see in that sort of late first round, early second round range. Totally. So just to, G, just to JD, is there anything that has you less convinced of Andre as maybe a mid first rounder? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to be uh, frank in saying that most of what I've got on Andre comes from Christopher Hedlund, our, our Swedish scout at Elite Prospects. And 
I know that Cam Robinson as well, who does film work in all of our regions, he's a huge fan of Andre's game. Uh, I've come to to like parts of his game and some of the film viewing I've done. I mean, uh, I like his small ice game considerably uh, better than I do his his big ice game, and and I think that a lot of the times we there there are, I don't know misconceptions about his value as a skater. I think that he's really great going, uh, you know, off of his outside edges. Uh, really good footwork, uh, particularly when it gets tight on the neutral zone and he's defending the blue line. I think he positions himself well. Uh, another thing I like about him too that I, I was surprised Scott didn't bring up is how insanely physical a guy is. He's like a little kamikaze pilot out there just throwing <laughs> himself at uh, at full-grown men in the SHL. And I, I honestly, I don't think it's a particularly savvy or shrewd decision for his long-term health, but it sure as hell is entertaining. Uh, but I think his long, uh, long distance speed and acceleration uh, aren't aren't really at a high end level for somebody his size, particularly someone who's going to need to skate at a high high level considering his size. Right? I mean, nobody says that you can't play in the NHL based on size anymore. That's not a thing. But if you can't skate well enough at a certain size, then it's an issue, right? So um, that sort of where, where I'm at with him. I think that he has room to grow as a skater. I mean, would it surprise me if, if Emil Andre kind of pulls an Eric Brandstrom and has a really uh, sudden explosion in his draft plus one and draft plus two year? Uh, no, not necessarily, but it's been a lot more difficult for Brandstrom to take that second step, right? And I think that that's one of the things that we see with these players is that making that one final step into the NHL becomes a bit of a challenge where that size discrepancy and and the details in one skating they become that much more i don't want to say necessarily exposed but they become that much more emphasized and so i i think those are pretty relevant concerns with andre but overall i mean we're, we're pretty big fans of his game i mean it's mm-hmm. he's a player that's still in our first round even if it's right at the end but you know, it's. I think that we, we need to be mindful of that if we're, you know, if we, I mean my elite prospects team, are at the draft board or at the draft table and trying to determine whether we're going to use a first or second round pick. Those are the things that we'd have to consider. And I think putting him on a team with a strong track record of developing uh, players with skating problems would be uh, certainly something that would augur well for his long-term success. But as currently constructed, I think those are issues that he's going to need to have to work out. For sure, and you both kind of uh, alluded to his projectability as as an NHLer potentially, and how that size may end up uh, coming back to get him. But uh, Scott, do you feel like the the physical aspect kind of counteracts that a bit and maybe makes him a bit more projectable, or do you find that um, he still has a few things to work on that that he'll need to that next level? I mean, he definitely has things he's going to need to work on. Um, I mean, the way I see it in this draft, once you get out of the sort of top eight, maybe top nine. Um, it, it, there, there's risk in a lot of these players and, and he's no exception to that. It's, it's going to take him some time. He's not going to be playing in the NHL in the next couple of years. Um, he shouldn't be asked to take that kind of trajectory either. Um, I wouldn't say that his skating is a, a, a sort of problem as, as JD kind of alluded to. Um, I definitely think he, his North South skating is, is a sort of weaker attribute than his East West skating. Um, the, some of that just comes with the fact that he's a little bit of a heavy quid kid, quite frankly, for his size. Like he, he, he sits on those skates for sure. Um, so that, so he's, he's not the fleetest foot kid, but, uh, I, I think he generates good power once he gets going. Um, certainly on, in, in terms of the pivots that will, that will need to be corrected a little bit, turning back on pucks and that kind of thing, just learning to do that with a little bit more pace. Um, that could be an, a, an issue long-term if he doesn't really correct it. Um, but again, because he, he has decent power to his stride, because he's a strong kid physically, um, he's, he's going to have no problem sort of stepping up and, and rubbing people out along the wall. He'll hold his own in, the, in sort of man-on-man battles below the goal line in the defensive zone. Um, so the, the rest of that is sort of the, the, some corks on a pivot or maybe getting a little bit lighter Um I, I think that's things that can be corrected. There's there's always going to be risk associated with them, but uh, relative to some of the other players that sit in that range, I, I'm pretty comfortable with with where his risk level is at in terms of projecting him forward. 
Totally. And, and it seems like skating has kind of come up a few times in this episode. And I just want to ask JD maybe a bit about that. Like, because some players can definitely improve their skating and, and see success at higher levels. And some players can also just fizzle out in that aspect. So I'm just wondering maybe what, what separates uh, some players for you in that aspect in regards to maybe their risk for improvement, I guess, and maybe Andre in this case and how that applies to him. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And I guess, uh, now is the part in the battle where I, I offer a little bit of vulnerability here and say that it's it's still like it's a work in progress learning those things. You need certain pieces of information that frankly aren't available in the public sphere. And you talk to a lot of team scouts and they get biometric information on these these kids and uh, breakdowns uh, based on kinesiology that help them make these determinations. Uh, it's still very much something that I'm trying to figure out myself as an analyst, whether player X, Y, or Z can figure out their skating in time. I think a lot of it depends on what part of their skating needs uh, needs fixing, right? And uh, again, some of the, the intersection there of, of kinesiology, like, for example, we had a discussion about Anton Lindell in the Elite Prospects Slack, and, and Rachel Dory brought up an excellent point about the connection between his limited an ankle flexion, his ability to generate that last bit of a, a bit of extension on his push and a lack of calf strength and the connection between the two and how a limited physical build, particularly as it relates to that muscle group would limit the ability to, uh, to build on that part of his skating stride, right? If this is making sense, uh, I'm, I'm learning it in real time myself. So if it's not making sense, then, uh, that's definitely on me, not you. So uh, I, I think that, that that's a work in progress, figuring out what can and can't be corrected. A lot of it also falls on the player too. And, you know, coming from Vancouver, I think the best example is Bo Horvat, where like everything was wrong with his skating stride in his draft year. And he just, there was one point in the middle of his rookie season where the team took their very short Christmas break and he came back and he was a better skater. And now skating is one of his strengths. Like he's a phenomenal skater. It's, it's great. And you talk to people around the team and they go, he just willed himself to it. Like the, these are people who are paid to make these determinations, who can fix their skating, who can't, uh, what parts need to be broken down and improved upon. And even they just to a man will tell you, like he just decided one day that he was going to fix his skating and made it happen. So uh, to, to answer your question, I don't really have a fulfilling answer. I suppose is what I'm, uh, doddering and working towards here. Yeah, and I guess the poster boy for that uh, Bo Horvat example in Ottawa has been Mark Stone and just the way he improved his skating too. And mm -hmm. I'm actually curious uh, for Scott, I want, I'm just want to ask you this, I want to put the same question to you. What do you, what do you look for in players when it comes to uh, improving their skating or maybe even improving other aspects in general? Well, just before I, I'll get to that, but just to add to, to JD's point, I think he makes a great point about just how difficult it is, particularly in hockey, um, to project some of that athleticism and some of that growth forward. Even people who are strength and conditioning coaches, the sort of creme de la creme at what they do, the Matt Nichols of the world, the Gary Robertses of the world, they will tell you that they don't know what the best exercises are to build proper hockey playing muscles. Hockey is just such a unique sort of format in terms of the way that your legs are asked to move, the way that your hips are asked to move. And that makes it extremely difficult on even people who've studied this sort of for a living. It, it's not like mm -hmm. football where you can just measure a guy's a running back's ability to sprint. And, and that has real translation to the field or basketball where you have a, a player's wingspan and everything that we know about how wingspan helps players defend and, that just, it, it's not that simple in hockey. Hockey's way more complex than that. So it's its not easy. And then to, to answer your second question, I mean, it's, in, in terms of what I look for, I think there are a few things increasingly that I look for. I'm, I'm less concerned today about a player's top speed and a player's ability to really just fly down the ice. I think there are a lot of players over the years who have shown that that skill is doesn't have the use that we might have thought. Even as the game becomes a track meet, we see the way that the Liam Foodies and the Alex Formentons and the Michael McLeods and the Zach Sinitians, some of these kids who... Pardon? 
the Jean-Luc foodies too. Yes, true. So these kids back themselves into corners. They put themselves in tough spots. It took Kasperi Kapanen years to figure out how to use his feet properly. Um, So I'm less concerned with that today. I I think a lot of that speed kind of disappears in the offensive zone as well. Um, Certainly it helps in your transition game, but once you're set up in the offensive zone and and the play is developing, I'm more concerned with, footwork and agility and a player's ability to get through seams and that sort of first couple of steps. Um, but again, even, even that's tough to project forward. If a kid is a little heavy, but he can really get going um, because he's a strong, powerful kid uh, that, that has its own kind of different kind of value. So I, I, I don't know. I, it's not a simple answer. It may sound like a cop-out, but um, I, I'm more concerned nowadays for sure with a, player's ability to accelerate and decelerate and to change tempo than I am with just how quick he can be. Um, and certainly it can go either way and, and both have value. And we know that players like Connor McDavid and Matthew Barzell just excel at their top speed. But um, increasingly, I think those players are the exception rather than, than the rule. And there are a lot of kids who have figured out that if they can be quick from a jump and if they can open up their hips and if they can, sort of navigate the offensive zone in other ways, then then there's an ability to sort of overcome some of the problems of athleticism that, that sometimes crop up with these kids. Yeah, and I just wanted to add one last point on that. I, I think that when somebody just says his skating uh, is bad, I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah. like, there are, or, or their skating is good, whatever side of that you land on, I think that that's becoming less and less relevant for me as opposed to what part of his skating is good or what part of his skating is bad, because I think there are limitations to the amount of value one can generate from different elements of that. Right. I mean, like look at mm-hmm. Bobby Brink, nothing about his skating form uh, would pass in a teaching class, right. For even a second. Uh, but somehow he's managed to will himself to being a great short distance skater. He's got a really explosive first few steps and, you know, good luck convincing me that there's something mechanical in the way that he's generating that power over short distances because everything's wrong. The way his boot lands, uh, his stride recovery, like it's all ugly. And yet he finds a way to make it work, right? And so would I just say that he's a bad skater? I don't think I'd be technically wrong, but then I'd also be distorting the picture uh, to the point where I'm leaving out the fact that if you get him below the hash marks, if you get him in the small ice game, it's not really going to matter for him because he's still going to find a way to produce because of his ability to, with an exceptional motor, generate power anyway. So I think it's a pretty nebulous topic, uh, whether a player can or can't skate. And I think that sometimes the players who are on the, uh, the con side, I suppose, of that ledger are perhaps unfairly scrutinized, I suppose is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Or perhaps they're scrutinized in such a way that leaves out valuable context that would uh, perhaps illuminate the way that they create value anyways, in spite of some shortcomings. So yeah, very nebulous topic is, is basically where I land on that one. Totally. And, if, and if Bobby Brink is above the puck four times out of five, and the other guy with the, who's a much better skater has to track the play back four out of five times, then Bobby Brink wins out. Like it's, there's, there's so much more to positioning and tracking and reading and sort of watching the play develop than just the sort of ability of a player to back check or forecheck. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you're talking to a guy who is uh, uh, maybe on the Bobby Brink side of the Bobby Brink versus Shane Pinto debate. So maybe we, yeah, <laughs> maybe we can, maybe we can talk about that a bit hey, afterwards. Chris, what did I tell you? Or sorry, not Chris, sorry. Uh, Colin, I have my Twitter open. There. Um, what did I tell you about Shane Pinto? <laughs> I, yeah. I remember, and and you know what, Sens fans, if you're listening, the market was apoplectic about Shane Pinto, and I was definitely like, look, I'm not one to brag, but I will now. I was definitely one of the guys talking to Colin, uh, to Colin and being like, you know, he's actually pretty good. Uh, yeah. yeah, Shane Pinto can play, and how's that looking a year later? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, he's definitely come a ways, in, come a ways since then, so uh, really happy to go in a bit more in depth into this topic it's it's a very difficult topic to talk about and we're all kind of in this where we're all sort of learning we're, we're parsing through this topic all together so uh, i want to get a bit more specific now just with the last prospects we'll be talking about uh because actually two players it's kind of a 1v1 we'll talk about and that's the two germans of the draft and that's john jason paterka and lucas reichel um of course we all know about tim stutzla as the uh as the way he unprecedentedly broke into into the del this past season but 
um, Paterka and Reichel, two other guys who also managed to accomplish that, uh, albeit to lesser degrees, but um, the consensus has them both kind of as fringe or first, second rounders right now, with Paterka ever so slightly favored, but uh, they're still pretty close together. Um, you guys have them switched in your rankings. As JD, you have Paterka 30th with Reichel at 51st, uh, where Scott, you have Reichel at 31st with, with Paterka at uh, spot number 43. So uh, there's definitely a difference there. So let's start with JD. So what's your case for uh, taking Paterka over Reichel? Well, the first thing I should say is that Paterka, I will be surprised if he makes it past 22. And frankly, I think that in our next meeting, we're, we're not putting a limit on how many rankings we put out because, hey, we're watching film every day. We're talking to people every day. And if the NHL wants to daughter on their draft plan, then we'll happily take advantage of that and continue to produce content. So I'm not going to say this is our final ranking, but whenever we produce our next one, I can tell you right now that John Jason Paterka is going to move up for us as well. And I think it's just, for one, he's got the highest motor in the class beyond a shadow of doubt. If there's a loose puck, he is going Leroy Jenkins and fighting through two, three, four defendment, uh, defensemen to get to it, or defenders rather. Uh, his off-the-puck instincts are really high-end. I mean, he's got such a good sense of, of pressure and space, and not only that, but timing, right? And it's one thing to identify a passing lane. It's one thing to identify... Uh, a skating lane that will direct you to the net in such a way as will make yourself available to your line mate when he has the puck. It's another thing entirely to time it perfectly so that you get there uh, right as they're in a position to complete that pass to you. Uh, you know, he's never stationary in the offensive zone, consistently supports the puck. I mean, it, there's just so much to like about his game. And I think the, the biggest question mark I have watching him, particularly when I see what he did for Red Bull München, uh, is, is why didn't he play more, right? And I think everybody looks at his production as something that was a little bit low, uh, certainly relative to Stutzla and, and even Reichel. But frankly, I think Paterka is closer to Stutzla than he is to Reichel. Uh, you know, he's he's got a really good variety of shots. He can do the catch and release uh, wrist shot, one-timer. He's such a powerful skater. I mean, there are things that we don't like about his skating. He's a little bit top-heavy. He, he needs to rein his arms in a bit because, I mean, that's just not a very inef uh, efficient way to conduct oneself. Uh, it's almost like he's skating with a little bit too much gusto, a little bit like the Silly Pod Colson almost where he's just got such a high motor and such a, uh, I guess, unrelenting pursuit of the puck sometimes that, that mechanics often can, can go straight out the window. But, you know, I, I think that he could be a better distributor uh, of the puck. I think that he, this is absolutely not a um, talent level comparison, but I think that he reminds me a little bit of early career Nathan McKinnon in that uh, he only plays at one speed. And sometimes it's a bit problematic because you need to be able to change, you know, mix in a change up with your fastball so that you can generate space so that you can uh, create opportunities where the defenseman is second guessing themselves on where, whether to uh, give more space or not at the blue line, things like that. Right. And I think that he could stand to be a little bit stronger as well, but ultimately I think the skill set that he has in his game and the motor as well. Like the, I, th I think he has real top six, top nine winger upside, and he'll be able to provide value in both phases of special teams. So I see him as being a really valuable NHLer and somebody who has a, a pretty high ceiling, perhaps higher than any of his boxcar statistics uh, would suggest anyway. Mm, for sure. And, and just Scott, what's your case for uh, Lucas Ryko instead? Oh, uh, it's funny just because uh, at the start of the year, I was I was I was right there with um, with JD. I w remember watching those first six games that he played this season that Paterka played, that is. And he was just so good. Like he came out of the gate after what was a, an excellent season at, with Red Bull last year as as one of the best players in a brand new sort of quote unquote brand new junior league in the Czech Republic. And he, he, he was great out of the gate. Like he was playing fast. He's physical. He's strong on the puck. He's one of the better North South players in this draft class. Um, but as the season progressed and, and some of this is certainly attributed to, to ice time as JD 
sort of mentioned, but as the season progressed, I just never saw it consistently. He became a bit of a one-trick pony for me. He can get to the net. He loves to shoot the puck. Um, he, he's not afraid or, at all in, in sort of physical engagements. He'll play in this quote-unquote dirty areas. But he just became a little bit too much of a north-south guy, and I didn't see a ton of sort of east-west offensive zone creativity or sort of thinking at, while he was out there. Um, JD kind of touched on the, this sort of wanting him to slow down sometimes because he's such an athletic player um, and, and he's able to constantly sort of come at you in waves and push tempo. There's definitely that element to his game. I think JD had it sort of bang on. Um, but there's no question that, uh, I'll, and I'll get, I'll sort of circle back to Reichel, but there's no question that, that Paterka is an extremely talented player uh, in, in terms of his ability to get to the net and his ability to finish plays. Uh, he's comfortable with the puck on his stick, all of those things. Um, but with, with the, the way it sort of changed as the year progressed, and again, maybe opportunity had something to do with it, but the more I watched Lucas, the more he sort of really seemed to come into his own. Um, he doesn't have that sort of net drive, if you will, that that a player like Paterka does. I, I think Lucas can can get caught playing on the perimeter a bit too much. Um, but I just love that his head is always up. He can impact a game in a variety of ways. He's a great shooter as well, but he's a, a sort of better playmaker than than someone like Paterka is, I think. Um, and, and there's just a comfort level to Lucas's game. You don't often see kids that are teenagers look so at ease on the ice against men, um, and especially in the back half of the year as he continued to take on more minutes. Like He just looked so comfortable out there out there he looked like he knew that he could make an impact and then he went out and he actually did make an impact and we just don't often see that in in sort of 17 18 year olds regardless of your professional league um and then you add in some some sort of standout skating skills and a may birthday and there's just there's there's a lot of reasons to really like lucas and the way that he's trending and and what he might offer at the next level um i think there's probably a safer projection in a player like paterka uh he has more tools today that translate well on the on the sort of smaller ice surface into that north american style game but there's just a finesse to lucas's game and a comfort level when he's out there that really really struck me as the year progressed yeah it's, it's, it's interesting to see how these guys were, were able to progress in the del as well just uh something that doesn't happen very often so uh just to jd you still have right at 51st but is there anything that's maybe holding you back from uh keeping him as a first rounder yeah inability to produce off the puck offense decision making uh you know he, he doesn't penetrate the high danger areas of the offensive zone anywhere near as consistently as one might hope. Uh, don't see him as a particularly threatening player from intermediate to long ranges either. Uh, sometimes it appears as though his brain can't quite keep up with his hands or his, his feet. And I think that he's one of those players where, I mean, the last thing you want to give him uh, if you're his coach is, is too much time to make a decision. Right. And, and we've seen him, uh, consistently make the wrong decision, whether it's with a pass in transition, whether it's with a shot, whether he, where he has support. Uh, you know, these are things that kind of stick out to us as limiting his overall upside. And of course, I mean, the thing with Reichel that has to go uh, into the conversation as, as well is that he produced at an insanely high level, uh, particularly when one adjusts for ice time uh, in the DEL as well, right? So, like, the production is there. Uh, there are some enviable skills. I like his speed. I like his hands most of the time. Uh, you know, he, he can really kind of take the, the lid off of a defense, to borrow a football term, uh, really stretch the sheet. But I, I think there are some limitations in his game, particularly once he has to think with the puck on his stick, that limit his ability to be somebody that we project into a top six role at the NHL level. Yeah, and I'll give Scott the last word on this just for the rebuttal. Do you have anything else you feel like adding on both players? Uh, not really. Um, uh, his, certainly his decision-making needs some work, but I, I don't think it, it that translates off the puck in terms of the sort of defensive side of the game. Um, would you like him to maybe take fewer chances with the puck or to make decisions at that sort of split second faster so that coverage doesn't swallow him? Sure. Um, 
but he was also a sort of regular contributor off the puck. I liked the way that he tracked the play. I liked his ability to use his speed to sort of win races and not have to get into physical sort of engagements because frankly, he's, he's not the strongest kid in the world and he's going to need to get a little bit stronger and add some muscle to reach his full potential. But mm-hmm. they're both great players. They're both worthwhile picks in the first two rounds. Um, so I'm not, I'm not terribly hung up on it. I just think that... Lucas has a little bit more flair with the puck, uh, certainly more skill in, in sort of the, the tight spaces that you run into in the offensive zone. Uh, and I just loved how comfortable he looked. I always come back to that. He never looked phased by pressure or by uh, sort of the stage of playing at the pro level at his age, particularly because he wasn't that dominant as a U20 player. Um, he, he really, if you looked at them a year ago, Paterka definitely had a better season with Red Bull than he did uh, playing in the DNL. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens long-term with the two of them. And, and they're certainly a testament to the sort of increasing strength of German hockey. But um, it, I could go either way, quite frankly. I'm, I'm not too hung up on it. For sure. I mean, they're definitely around the same tier for you guys. So uh, at this point, at least. So that about wraps it up for the debate portion of this episode. So uh, I just want to give you guys the chance to shout out some potential late round picks that you have your eye on maybe. So uh, we'll go back to Scott for this one first. Uh, who are some of your uh, late round picks? Uh, VT Mietnin's the kid who always kind of comes to mind here. I think he would have been an impact player in Liga if he weren't going the college route. And I think players in the last three, four years, have there have been mistakes at the draft with these kids who marinate that extra year in, in junior and in, in particularly in Finland, but also in Sweden and some of the kids who've decided to go the college route. And um, I mean, Tuo Misto comes to mind as a kid in Detroit, who I think was unduly knocked just because he, he didn't get a chance to showcase himself at the pro level in his draft year. So, so Mietnin's a kid who I just have so much time for. He was the most dominant player in that league. He did it in his draft year. He was the MVP of that league, in my opinion, in terms of, of the way that the the Finnish Junior League shaped up this year, and just how weak that Kieko team was, um, he I mean he was just their only player, and he went out and did everything, every game. Um, so he's a kid who I, I just don't understand why he isn't sort of ranked higher, at least in the public sphere. I, I know a couple of scouts privately who who really like him. Um, I, I don't know who who else. He's he's kind of always been the guy that I've that I've come back to. I have a, increasingly I had a lot of time for Martin Kromiak as as the year progressed, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. confident he's not exactly going to be a late round pick at this point. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I really like Evan Veerling. Um, I remember watching him when he was 15 years old. I did a story, uh, sort of year long story on Quentin Byfield and that York Simcoe Express team and. Evan was so good back then. And then I always wondered why it never really clicked for him early on in his OHL career. And then I think after the trade this year, we really got to see the best of him and he, we really got to see some dynamic qualities offensively in Evan. So he's certainly another player that comes to mind. Uh, I think concerns about uh, sort of the pace that he plays with have, have been overstated. And if he's available in the middle of the draft or certainly in the back half of the draft that, you could potentially get a really nice NHL player there someday. Um, so those are probably the three guys who who immediately are, are sort of top of mind for me, I think. For sure. And, and just, uh, just a thing to add on, on VT Mietnin is just from a statistical standpoint, the amount of shots he was taking, he was just shoveling pucks towards the net at, at like an incredible rate. So he's, he's been on my radar for that reason too. But uh, I just want to put the same question to JD. Um, who are some of your maybe sleeper picks or late round picks that you just want to shut out? Yeah, I, I think that the conversation for me, and I'll, I'll come up with three. I'm going to match Scott uh, blow for blow here. Uh, I'll, I'll come up with Ethan Edwards to start. Uh, mm. Spruce Grove mm-hmm. um, Crusaders play, uh, defenseman. He played for Canada West at the World Junior A Challenge, and frankly, he looked multiple levels ahead of, of Michael Benning, who was on the same team playing the same role. Ethan Edwards was just better. And I'm not saying that we're going to decide which person slots higher based on one uh, World Junior A challenge, right? And we still have Michael Benning higher than Ethan Edwards. I'm just using that as a comparative tool. 
And I just, I like so much of his game. He's going, he's part of that ridiculous Michigan recruiting class. He's got really great offensive instincts, uh, loves to join the rush, loves to lead the rush. And a big part of what we're doing with Ethan Edwards here is we're projecting what he's going to be in three, four, five years. And he's so far away from having filled out his frame that we're, we're barely scratching the surface of what this kid can be. And I think that as he adds muscle and he's going to a perfect environment, uh, you know, in the NCAA where they don't have as many uh, games per se as the, the Canadian junior leagues or whatever, uh, he's going to have a great opportunity to train there, play in a really great environment for his type of game. Sorry, it's the Spruce Grove Saints um, that he plays for. And I, I think that this kid's got a really bright future. Um, so that's one that I would keep an eye on. Another player uh, that I'm pretty fond of as well, and this one is from the queue, that would be Elliot Desnoyers of the Moncton Wildcats. Didn't put up huge numbers, but I don't know how he could have in the role that he was playing. I mean, we're talking about somebody who was spending a lot of time on the third and fourth lines. His off-the-puck instincts are through the roof. And he's great on offensive zone puck retrievals. He's, he's not shy about playing in traffic and going to the net and taking his licks to produce. I think that he's one of those players, when we watch him, we go, there are going to be some graduations, assuming there's still hockey and even a, you know, a functioning society next year. Uh, when he returns to Moncton, he's going to have a much bigger role, and we expect that his production is going to take a significant step, uh, step up from the nearly half per, uh, point per game that he was playing at this year. So that's another one that we're, we're really fond of. And I think, you know, if, if my descent into being one of the 200 hockey men wasn't already clear enough. Uh, I'll make that especially clear by picking somebody who played most of the year in high school. And that's, that's Wyatt Kaiser, you know, somebody who mm. like a few years ago, I just wouldn't touch a high school prospect, you know, at all at the draft, complete waste of time, complete waste of an asset. But Wyatt Kaiser might be an exception to the rule. I mean, he's a phenomenal skater. I like what he does in the offensive zone, uh, his ability to distribute through levels from the points, uh, like there, there are a lot of really nice projectable traits there. And I don't necessarily begrudge him for not sticking with the Dubuque saints. He played there for 11 games, only had the three assists. They were one of the better teams in the USHL this year, and they had drafted players on their blue line. Right. So, uh, significant, uh, development, uh, developmental disadvantage relative to those players for Wyatt Kaiser. And so I think he made the decision that was best for him. And that was to play big minutes and in high school. And I mean, if you want to look at how he fared against a similar level of competition as the USHL, and I don't think this is too much of a stretch. Uh, he was by far the Americans best defenseman at the Helenka Gretzky. So uh, he's proven that he can play on a bigger stage. He's proven that he can produce. And I think that his high school tape as well. I mean, it's all about evaluating the process. Once you get to that level, right? You're looking at his physical tools, his skating, his decision-making with the puck. And those all really stick out as distinct positives for us. So we're pretty high on Wyatt Kaiser. And, and I think that he's somebody who could really kind of, again, put himself on the map next year. I believe he's going to Minnesota Duluth or one of the eight Minnesota programs. So uh, he's going to be playing way up there in terms of the NCAA hockey world. And I think that once he's on that bigger stage, he's going to be, he's going to be really kind of somebody who a lot of people are going to be asking, where did this kid come from? And the answer will be the Andover Huskies. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, definitely some players to keep an eye on. Uh, but before we close things off, our listeners need to know where to find you guys. So uh, we'll go Scott first, then JD second. Uh, where can we find your work? Before that, Ethan Edwards is a great pick. Um, oh, yeah. His foot, and his footwork is, I mean, you can count on one hand the kids who can sort of walk the line like he can. Um, but, but yeah, my work is at the athletic, um, nowhere else to find it these days. And the top 100 is coming. I swear to God, it is coming. It has been done for almost a month now. And as soon as the NHL gets its shit in order, we'll get our shit in order. So it's, it, it, it's around the corner. Yeah. And to JD, where can we find your work too? Uh, you can find me. I'm a bit of a mercenary. So uh, my services have been uh, deployed at The Athletic this year, The Athletic Vancouver, uh, where I'm rabble rousing and making friends with Canucks management. Uh, I also do that on TSN 1040 with my 
uh, Vancouver Canucks takes, but mostly I'm focusing on the prospect side of things and working on the draft guide with elite prospects. And uh, that's where you'll be able to find a lot of my work. And that's www.eprinkside.com. That's where we stick all our editorial stuff. And and just for, for context too, you know, a shout out to some of the people who made our board possible. And, and it's, it's not the JD Burke board by any stretch of the imagination. It's the elite mm-hmm. prospect board. And that's thanks to the fine work of Rachel Dory, uh, Joey Padmanabhan, such a bright kid. Um, Cam Robinson, Mitch Brown, David St. Louis, Daniel G. Uh, the list goes on and on. Right. And I'm sure I've forgotten somebody uh, because that's just what I do, but couldn't do it without their support. They make it possible. And I can't wait for us to put the draft guide out there and start getting some video content going on elite prospects. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. As a wrap it up, a reminder that you can find the Cosper Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you really like it, you can rate and review it on those platforms as well. You can find me on Twitter at CudmoreCollin and read my articles at Silver7Cents. And for Trevor, even though he wasn't on this episode, you can find him on Twitter at ShaqTS. We'll be back again this Thursday with another episode with two more fantastic scouts. But until then, stay safe, everyone. Uh, That's all for today, folks. Adios.